and welcome to this thing we call spring or whatever season it may actually be out there for you <laughs> this is episode 42 of the faraway nearby so princess what's new with you what have you been up to oh just enjoying this lovely weather that we have not been having. <laughs> Easter was last weekend, mm -hmm. so I did spend time with the parents. We did brunch at their castle. Uh -huh. One of our traditions usually is that, because my mother is Polish, uh -huh. and they have this thing called, it's called a lamb cake, and it's not actually made out of lamb. It's uh, it's just a white cake, and um, it's got, I think it's like a buttercream frosting and coconut on it, but we have to get it from uh, the next town over. They don't seem to have it in our area, so we, we have to usually travel to get it, so we weren't able to do that this year, yeah. um, so that was kind of a bummer because it's something that we like to have for as a treat after we eat our meal. Do you guys still do what some families do? Did you have a little basket? You know, they didn't get me a basket this year. Oh. Um, they, I know, right? Don't they know who I am? One of my favorite things for the Easter hot and spring season is all the little goodies that come out this time of year. Now, what were some of the favorite things that you would get in your Easter basket as a kid? One of my favorite things for Easter is the Reese's Easter eggs. Those are my favorite. I don't know what it is, but like it doesn't quite taste the same as a Reese's peanut butter cup. For some reason, I think the eggs are the best of the Reese's line. Those were always my favorite. The little eggs, the little chocolate eggs with um, like crispies in them. Uh huh. Uh, those were always good. You know, I am, I don't know if I'm weird for this, but I absolutely detest jelly beans. <laughs> I know that they're kind of a traditional Easter thing, but ugh, yuck. So it doesn't matter them. what flavor, you just don't like them in general? I don't. I don't care for that. I, I mean, every now and then, I could go for maybe a red one or a white one mm -hmm. if they're around and somebody offers me one. But for the most part, they're nothing that I'd seek out. Or be uh, jazzed about getting. Yeah. Now, traditionally, if you get, you know, jelly beans that are supposed to be better jelly beans, mm -hmm. the, the red ones are supposed to be like a hot cinnamon. And, um, you know, green ones are supposed to be like lime. And the black ones are supposed to be like licorice. And, you know, when I was a kid, we all knew that you gave the black jelly beans to dad because he was the only one that liked them. <laughs> That's a very dad thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Now that I'm older and, of course, I've grown to have a taste for coffee, I don't mind the black jelly beans as much. Of course, I used to get turned on when I would be at the bus stations or the bus stops in Denver and the the uh, attractive college guys would be smoking clove cigarettes. Oh, I hate clove cigarettes, too. Yeah. <laughs> i cannot stand those so uh when i was a kid easter was a special time of the year because that was the time of year that my grandparents would be coming back from florida mm -hmm. my grandparents were born rather i was born at the time that my grandfather was retiring 
And so literally that year I came into the world and my grandparents headed south. Oh, wow. <laughs> so growing up, we didn't have Christmas with my grandparents. My grandmother would always knit our Christmas gifts because she would make us, you know, gloves and mittens and hats and scarves. And they'd be in a box under my dad's chair. Mm. And of course, we would get to open them at Christmas and that's something that I wish I'd held on to because as a kid, you don't appreciate things like when people give you clothes, you know. Um, I wish I'd held on to the mittens that my grandmother had made me because they were handmade and she's not been with us for some time now. But, um, you know, we we would get our Easter baskets and we knew that that was when grandma and grandpa were coming home. And I would always have a new gift in my Easter basket. It would usually be a little porcelain knickknacks. My mom had a keepsake shelf and mm -hmm. it was kind of cool to me that I got something in my Easter basket that I could put up on the keepsake shelf with mom's little knickknacks. But uh, my favorite thing in the Easter basket were always the Cadbury eggs. Oh, another thing I don't care for. Oh my, I, I won't gross you out with them since mm -hmm. they're not your favorite, but a special story that I have about the Cadbury eggs I was living in Denver, and at the time, I was working at a hotel. I was between jobs, mm -hmm. and in the office that I worked at, I had a coworker who was from another country. We, we didn't have a lot of diversity in our office there because it was a small business, but my coworker was from Japan. Mm -hmm. and interestingly enough, her husband was from China. So there was a little bit of a cross-culture gap there. In fact, whenever we would order Chinese food for takeout mm -hmm. in, our, uh, in our office, she would joke because there's a cultural difference. And, uh, you know, she would say things like, oh, you want Mushu Puppy? Or, you know, <laughs> oh, Kitty? Oh, wow. Yeah, so quite the cultural thing there. But anyways, we had a convenience store across the street from our hotel I go over there during lunch and pick up a candy bar or something. But it became Easter that year. And I was excited because my friend from Japan had not experienced the American Easter holiday. And so I was going to introduce her to one of my favorites, Cadbury eggs. Well, lo and behold, unbeknownst to me, when I went across the street, there were Cadbury eggs, but the company had uh, introduced new versions to the line so you not only had the classical cream egg that had like the yellow center but you also had chocolate and you had caramel now i would consider myself a purist because nothing is like the original in fact i find the other cadbury eggs disgusting so <laughs> of course, that's ironic to you since you don't care for them to begin with but I, I I struck out, as you might say, because I went to the convenience store hoping to bring back one of my favorite childhood memories to share with my coworker, and they were out of the originals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> right. So, princess, we've gotten together today because we've both watched a few movies that suggest that uh, warmer temperatures are on their way. Spring has sprung. And the bright colors are about to come out in the summer dresses, the spring dresses, the hats. And so we have decided to watch a few movies about 
church ladies. And uh, yeah. I'm not sure if this was part of your growing up, but it always seemed like when I would go with mom to church, that's when the prettier and brighter outfits would come out. The ladies with the bigger hats. How about you? Yes, absolutely. I grew up Baptist. So the church that we would go to kind of already had that throughout the year with the hats and, and things like that. But definitely around this time of year, you know, the, the brighter colors came out. Because, you know, they, they have this thing that they call the Easter bonnet. And it seems like no matter how conservative a lady's dress is usually in your church, that's when they let their, their hair down in a way. They, they get out the prettier things because, you know, you've got the hats with the big bows. You've got the big flowers on there. And that's just when you make a statement. It's kind of like going to the prom. It's being on parade. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So we're going to move into the first of three movies that we decided to watch to get ourselves into the mood for spring. Princess, if you would be so kind, could you present the first movie? The first movie that we watched was... When organized crime hits their town... What did you have in mind, Tiger? These ladies hit back... Hey, back. ...and become the North Avenue Irregulars who meet big-time crime... ...is the North Avenue Irregulars... This was made in 1979. It stars Edward Herman and Barbara Harris. And it was directed by Bruce Bilson, who's also known for Get Smart, The Odd Couple, and The Six Million Dollar Man. The story is when crooks set up operation in a traditional town, a minister and a group of church ladies are willing to do anything, no matter how wacky, to get them out. This is actually inspired by events of real life. This took place at a church in New Rochelle, New York in 1963. And the real North Avenue Presbyterian Church did lose its charter at some point before the movie was released. And it actually stood vacant for 30 years before it was picked up and made into another congregation. Princess, please give us your impressions of this movie. So I was a little hesitant about this movie just because I'm one of those people that I like to know a little bit about something before I watch it. I'm, I stick more with modern things. So I was like, ah, oh, this movie is from 1979. I don't know. When I started watching it, I, I liked the opening scene that's like kind of animated with the credits and everything. I thought that was really cute. I quite enjoyed this movie. Made me laugh throughout the movie. Just I overall enjoyed it. And now I don't know if you caught it, Princess, but the guy who plays the lead role in this film, the pastor, mm-hmm. he's been in TV much more yes. recently. Do you did you notice who he was? I recognized his face. I couldn't exactly place him. Did you ever watch the Gilmore Girls? Did a little bit, yes. Okay, he played the grandfather on that series. Oh, okay. Of course, it's many years awesome. later because he's a, quite a young man in this movie. In fact, yeah. the North Avenue Regular is maybe one of his first film roles. For some of our listeners that might be a little bit older, you'll recognize Edward Herman for some of his 80s movies that he starred in, which included Big Business with Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. And one of my favorite movies, Overboard, which starred Goldie Hawn. And oh, okay. Maybe that's where I've seen him. Actually, there's a boatload of celebrities on here. Princess, did you recognize anybody else in the cast? Um, I know Cloris Leachman was on there. Yes. <laughs> she was so young in that, too. 
oh, I know. And, <laughs> you know, that that was one of my favorite mo- moments in this movie. So because this is, uh, of course, the North Avenue Irregulars is all about the this cast of characters. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you've got the mom who's got her hands full, which is who mm-hmm. Barbara Harris is. She's got the station wagon. And at one point in the movie, she's supposed to be taking the kids to a park because there's a pet show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then you've yeah. got uh, Cloris Leachman's character who's just thrilled at the idea that the young new pastor is asking her to come mm. by after hours and uh-huh. her idea in her head. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, I can't remember the actress's name, but the lady who is the outgoing pastor's daughter, the actress that played that character was in a TV series called Webster. It was a cute story from the 80s. I mean, orphans were very popular in the 80s. (laughs) The child was kind of short for his age. Yep, I remember that. He was adopted by a couple whose names were George and Ma'am. What was your favorite moment from the North Avenue Irregulars? My favorite moment was I think the character's name was Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, she was walking down the street, and it was right after they had their their first. It was during their first um, assignment, and she was going into a bar to place a bet. And she's all gussied up, and I think her fiance Tom and his mother drive by in his Rolls Royce. In his Rolls Royce, <laughs> and you know the they're talking about her and he says what a good girl she is and the mother's like well what is she doing walking in there then they they of course you know have to stop and see and she's trying to be all sly and you know act like she's a legitimate customer placing a bed and the agent is you know buying her a drink and here comes her fiance she's supposed to be this good church going girl <laughs> And, you know, he's like, what's going on? And she's like, I'll talk to you later. And then she ends up whamming him and knocking him over. And that that just the whole scene made me made me laugh because oh. it was like, you know, she, you're messing this up. I'll explain it later. <laughs> and You know, I, it didn't get explained in the synopsis, but these church ladies have been hired by the local police department because they're, you know, who would ever suspect a group of church-going ladies of uh, going undercover? And they're supposed to be trying to, you know, uncover the local gambling ring. But yeah, that's just perfect when the, the young ladies going into the bar there, oh my goodness, when she slugs the guy in the bar, <laughs> right. what, what a perfect alibi. Because if you think about it, now if people see her, they're going to think she actually is a lady of the night. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it, it, it just serves to build up her, her uh, backstory there. Yeah, yep, her reputation. Oh, my. So, <laughs> so many favorite moments in this movie. I mean, it, it, it's just one comedy from another. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite line in the movie is where the, the full-figured gal... Um, the actress was actually on a lot of TV, but she was on The Fresh Prince uh, oh. in later years. She, I think she was one of his aunts. Okay. You know, the, the, the lady who owned her, whose husband owns a used car business, is providing her with all of these undercover vehicles. Of course, the first one breaks down. Mm-hmm. And then later she's driving a dump truck 
where it's just beautiful because here's this full-figured lady driving a dump truck and she's on the shortwave radio and she's using the call sign heavy duty so she gets to say heavy duty is pulled out (laughs) (laughs) the best scene for me in the movie was when she is pushing a baby carriage with the radio in the carriage and she's trying to pursue the suspect and he's up at the the traffic light there's a lady at the bench waiting for a bus over here and i oh, yeah. think that she's talking nasty to her child and, <laughs> you know she's that that's, you know she doesn't realize there's a radio in there and she just looks around to the lady well, the, what the lady says to her is, you shouldn't talk that way to an infant. And then the lady's response is just, butt out, lady. <laughs> That's just priceless. Because, of course, yeah. nowadays, parents are so conscientious of how they act in public with their children because somebody could call child welfare on them. Barbara Harris was in this movie, and she later on, just a few years later, starred in the original film version of Freaky Friday, who more recently you'll have known with Lindsay Lohan in it. Yes, Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Yes, the original starred Barbara Harris, who you first seen in this movie, Hmm? but also legendary child actress then, Jodie Foster. Ah. Princess, was there a moment in the movie where a character had a line that just stood out for you that just made you stop and laugh or were you shocked? There was one moment, it was towards the beginning, it was kind of the setup, part of the setup to the um, the whole situation. One of the ladies was put in charge of the sinking fund, which is kind of like an emergency fund um, for the church. And her husband took it and he put placed a bet. The Reverend goes to try, Reverend gets wind of this and tries to go to the gambling establishment to get the money back. And when he enters the, there's a gentleman at the counter that um, insists that he take off his pants so that he can press them. And so he complies and he's in there trying to, um, you know, get the money back and everything like that. And through a series of events, it turns out he doesn't get the money back and they kind of force him out on the street and he never did recover his pants. Um, so when they're out on the street, there's a little girl and she sees him and she says, how come he doesn't have any pants on? And Miss Vicky says, well, we don't know why. We just don't question why. <laughs> and and the little girl says, why don't we? We're all just supposed to pretend he has pants on when he doesn't. You know, Miss Vicky replies, mm-hmm, yes. And <laughs> it made me laugh, but it also made me think because sometimes that can be the mentality, uh, not to get too deep into this but uh-huh. when it comes to you know religion and church is that you know we don't question things we just go with them whether you know somebody has pants on or not it's none of our concern and um so that uh, obviously made me laugh but it, it kind of made me think a little bit too <laughs> well and you know you, you brought up the name guy because i had forgotten it but vicky is uh-huh. barbara harris's character in this movie and i can also see that being the mentality of a parent that has their hands full, that just doesn't right. want to answer a million questions from the child. 
<laughs> it's kind of like the because I said so answer. Exactly. Exactly. And the little girl's just like, but why? <laughs> Which is the typical child answer. Right. But, but yes, definitely, folks, if you, if you want to get into the mood of uh, warmer weather and maybe revisit the days that you may have gone to services with your parents or your grandparents, check out the North Avenue Irregulars with Edward Herman, more commonly known as Grandpa Gilmore from the Gilmore Girls. And then, of course, famed Disney actress Barbara Harris. So from uh, the North Avenue Irregulars, we move forward onto a little bit more recent times. And uh, this is a movie that came out when I was a young lad. We are going to be talking about Steel Magnolias, which was made in 1989. And Princess, can you tell me before we watch this together here, what did you know about this movie? I knew uh, Julie Roberts and Sally Fields were in it. I'm ashamed to say I didn't watch it until recently, until we were discussing for the podcast, was that it was a sad movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't necessarily like to watch sad movies. So I, I really did watch it, even though, um, as we were discussing before, I am quite a Julia Roberts fan. So I've seen a lot of her movies from, you know, the 90s. I, I, I prefer 90s Julia Roberts. This one I had not seen. Uh-huh. What did you know? What did you know about the story? Knew very little. I knew somebody died. Okay. Well, <laughs> th- they were ladies. <laughs> yeah. This is a story that is actually the life story, true story of the author's sister. Mm-hmm. This was originally a play before it became other things. Oh, Robert Harling's real life experience with the death of his sister. Robert Harling is an accomplished writer because he's made several other uh, stories that have been turned successfully turned into films, including The First Wives Club, which oh, okay. is a personal favorite. Yes, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, he wrote GCB. Stood for good Christian bitches. Oh, okay. I think Christian Chenoweth was supposed to be in there. Yes, yes. She was in it. We watched Steel Magnolias, a film from 1989, which, among other stars, included Shirley MacLaine and Olympia Dukakis. Now, the storyline, if you haven't seen it, is that a young beautician newly arrived in a small Louisiana town finds work at the local salon where a small group of women share a close bond of friendship and welcome her into the fold. That's that's quite the short summary of the story because some would say that that's the first half of the movie, Don't would you say? Absolutely. And it's it's also worth mentioning, I think, in addition to the ones that we've already mentioned, there's Dolly Parton and Daryl Hannah as well. So the whole main cast of women is comprised of like super star celebrities. What were your impressions of Steel Magnolias? I really enjoyed the friendship and the sassiness of the women. It definitely wasn't as depressing as I thought it would be. There was there were a lot of funny moments. I can't believe that I waited so long to see it. <laughs> it it's definitely one of those movies that could be stereotyped as a chick flick. Oh, 
And, yeah. You know, I, I realize that in today's day and age, we don't use that terminology because for one, it's chauvinist and sexist. You know, when this was just a play, literally there were no men that appeared on set. In fact, when they went to make it into a movie, they had to write into it that the men actually had parts. Oh, wow. <laughs> Because, you know, for the most part, when you have a play, you try to limit the number of, of sets. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of this movie, or in the original play, I believe, took place in the beauty shop. Mm-hmm. If you like this show, head on over to Vogue Network, the voice of geeks, where you'll find podcasts on subjects ranging from video gaming to nerd culture, like the long-running Orange Lounge Radio, for all things gaming, and British Invaders, for sci-fi produced across the pond, over at vognetwork.com. They're just chock full of celebrities there. I mean, Shirley MacLaine was in what was essentially the life story of Car- uh, Carrie Fisher, Postcards from the Edge, D- Dolly Parton, Olympia Dukakis, Sally Fields, just mm-hmm. it goes on and on so my favorite moment in this movie is when they're in the beauty shop which is truvies and that's dolly parton's character and uh they're getting ready for the wedding sally field's character malin is there with her daughter shelby the bride-to-be and she's getting her hair all done up now, of course, this is where the uh, the audience learns that the daughter is diabetic because she has an insulin shock episode right there in the salon. And yeah, and and it's almost from the point of view of the new girl in town, Anel, which is Daryl Hannah's character. Uh-huh. You know, she doesn't know how to react to the situation, but of course, all the rest of the ladies in the salon there know Malin and Shelby so they're they're used to this but as she's coming out of the episode and she's gotten her juice which of course is you know one of the the quotable lines that everyone knows from this movie Shelby is talking about how she and her fiance had discussed having children because that's one of the big concerns of this movie is that Shelby's a diabetic and having children is a difficult thing for Uh, people with that condition and she says that uh when uh she was worried about having children told her or or jackson her fiance said shelby don't be stupid there are plenty of kids that need homes if we can't have one of our own we'll buy one (laughs) and you know of course earlier they explained that her fiance is an attorney and apparently in louisiana there are a lot of ambulance chasers, so an attorney does well in those parts, as they might say. Right, right. Her fiancé played by Dylan McDermott, too. Yes. And, um, you know... A young Dylan McDermott, still looking fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, of course, Olympia Dukakis's character is the, the well-to-do lady in town, because she later on buys the radio station, mm-hmm. and she says to Shelby, Jackson sounds like good people. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> what about you, Micah? Uh, you know, what, well, what do you remember most about this movie? Well, we kind of go from, um, mine goes almost to the other end of the movie. It's, it's towards the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Only, you know, 20 some odd years later, after Shelby passes away uh, due to her diabetes, you know, Malin is upset. They, they buried her. She's very upset. And the girls come and they surround her with their love. And she's just, she's so upset. And she goes from crying to being angry. She just doesn't understand why her daughter was taken from her so soon. And she just wants to punch something. She just wants to hit something. Clary offers, suggests that she punch Weeza. And she gets, Weeza gets very upset and Weeza played by Shirley MacLaine. And she's just kind of an older curmudgeon lady. One of, one of the lines that I like that she says is, I'm not crazy. I've just been in a very bad mood for 40 years. Yes. <laughs> and, and one of the only other things that you know about Weeza is that she's been married several times. Yes, yes. And she has several children and grandchildren and they're all ungrateful. So she gets very upset and she kind of storms off. And I, I'm describing a scene that lasts, I don't know, maybe over five minutes or so. So then Clary catches up with her and they have this moment on the bench and, and they, they're kind of sparring partners, but you can tell that deep down, you know, they have deep affection for each other. Clary tells her, you know, I love you more than my own luggage. <laughs> and I don't know, that just, that touched me. And uh, they make up. And so that that whole thing was one of my favorites. Yeah, I read somewhere that the cemetery scene was all filmed in one shot. Really? Wow. <laughs> and that just goes to show you the the, the power and the talent right. of ladies there. Because, you know, you go from the kind of, uh, I, I'm not sure if the word's right, but the dowdy one uh, by Daryl Hannah. Mm -hmm. And she's, she's just kind of a simpleton and she's trying to pass on her, her religious blessings. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, she has to turn it around by saying that she thinks that you know Malin's daughter is now a guardian angel <laughs> and you know so that that comforted her so aside from the favorite moment i would say that my favorite line from the movie mm -hmm. about christmas time when uh, it's after the wedding and uh julia roberts character shelby is walking on eggshells with her mom because she's not sure how to break it to her that she's going to be expecting. Because that's her mother's worst fear is that you know her her daughter's body will be just um, you know wrung uh, wrung out uh, wrung and hung out to dry by trying to have a, a child. And so they're they're having this big Christmas party you know, Louisiana style in Malin's house and all of her friends are over where one of the ladies says, cause she's likes to gossip, you know, she says, if you don't have anything nice to say, come over and sit by me. Here's <laughs> <laughs> enough. You think about it. If you're the outsider at a party and you don't know anyone, mm -hmm. the gossip is the one that's going to have all the juicy details. So if you stick right. by them, you're not only going to meet everybody, but you're going to learn all the dirt. <laughs> 
two two important things came out of seeing Steel Magnolias for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was about twelve or so when this came out, and this was right about the time that we had health class in school, which we also call sex ed. Mm. Uh, I got to learn about condoms from Steel Magnolias because they covered the getaway car. <laughs> and of course, there's that oh, great, mm-hmm. there's that great line where Shelby is talking to Jackson, and because uh, he's snuck up into a room before the wedding, and she goes, Jackson, the question of whether or not I can or cannot have your children will not be an issue. If my father catches you in here, he will cut <laughs> your thing off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of my favorite lines was uh, another Shelby line. And it was something that I, it's a quote that I've heard through the years. My favorite is uh, where she says, my signature color is pink. <laughs> and she's talking about, cause you know, she's planning this wedding or whatever and blush and bashful are her colors. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's her mother saying to her, you know, it's pink, it's pink. She said, no, one, one pink is deeper than the other, you know, and, and I can, I can totally relate to that. Another thing I wanted to mention about this movie was Steel Magnolias has a special place in the star sage family's hearts because my sister betty had cancer at a young age she was about 16 at the time and uh, she married at 17 because of course when your body's been through that you know your parents aren't going to say no when your sweetheart asks you to marry you Mm -hmm. so my sister got married at 17 and steel magnolias came out when she was a young mother and so i'm sure that having survived cancer was so fresh in her mind the character of shelby just rang home for her i'm sure definitely if you haven't seen steel magnolias or maybe it's been a while give it a revisit here because it has all the beautiful colors of spring and all the wonderful flowers of the south okay we'll move on to our last movie here which was a little bit more recent um princess lead us on to the last of our three films of spring okay so our final film uh is starring tom hanks and marlon waynes from 2004 called The Lady Killers. It's um, a remake of a 1955 movie by the same name, and it was directed by the Coen brothers. So the, the description of the movie is that an eccentric, if not charming, Southern professor and his crew poses a classical ensemble in order to rob a casino all under the nose of an unsuspecting but sharp old landlady. You know, Princess, Tom Hanks is one of one of those actors that always brings something special to the role to me. What, what did you think of him in this movie? You know, I got to be honest. I normally, I love Tom Hanks. And he is always, he's a wonderful actor. And he was still a great actor in this. Uh, I guess my only thing was his accent was a little over the top. But I think that was supposed to be part of the character as well. So I, I guess I can't critique too much. Yeah, that was that was kind of my, my thoughts on this role. You know, I mean, I, I realize that this is supposed to take place in the South, just like the other movies that we've watched. His character was such an oddball. Now, I'm sure yes. that Tom Hanks probably just took this role to do something different, to have fun mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you. It was a little hard to sit through the scenes with Tom Hanks' character. <laughs> You know, he he was supposed to be this very intelligent man. He's a professor. Right. But, but yet he kept mixing up details of different things mm-hmm. and assuming that the landlady didn't know that he was, you know, 
talking crap, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a little bit of a bumbling professor type in this. You know, I, I, I liken him to being the smooth talker. Yes. He's trying yes. to impress you, but in reality, you know he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> it just sounds that, good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like people who have a thing for accents, you know. You, you automatically assume that people with certain accents are educated and intellectual people. You know, right. they say, pull my finger. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll be honest, this is not a movie that I would normally have picked out myself. There, There is a podcasting friend out there who will remain blameless. Um, <laughs> And mm-hmm. at the time, I simply asked for church lady movies. So this was among the suggestions. But, uh, you know, I did you recognize anybody else from the cast in this princess? Yeah, there were a few people. Um, Marlon Wayans and um, J.K. Simmons, I recognize. And then I had to look up um, the character that played Lump. Uh-huh. Um, which is an actor by the name of Ryan Hurst, which may not be a super common name, but um, if you ever watched the popular show Sons of Anarchy, okay, um, he was on that show for a while. Well, I recognized one of the guys, and I'm sorry, I, I don't have the list in front of me, so I don't have his name, but the, the guy with the kind of Cajun mustache that was waxed, and he had a shaved head. Uh, mm-hmm. I recognized him from being in one of the more recent Superman movies. He was kind of the commissioner. Okay. He was also in, it's been a few years now, but there was a movie about a teen pregnancy called Juno. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It had Allison Janney in that, who's another of my favorite actors. Mm -hmm. He's also been in the State Farm Insurance commercials. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But uh, yeah, this is this is quite the film, and it's a heist. I would be curious to know how all of these characters got to know each other. I I wouldn't be surprised at all if maybe they met in jail. I I do believe that there was a part Tom Hanks' character mentioned them answering an ad. Okay. So I think that maybe he, I don't know how he would have placed an ad for criminals. Right. Um, I don't think, I don't know how popular Craigslist was in 2004, but. No, that that raises an important point. I I listen to a lot of public radio NPR on my way into uh, into the candy shop. And I know that Mm -hmm. recently it was the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. And Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the lady in this movie, Mrs. Munson, who's just basically known as the landlady through most of the movie, she starts off by going into the sheriff's office because, you know, she's complaining about the neighbors and their boom box and their, their urban music that they're listening to. And she talks about Dr. King. And I think she mentions the fact that at the time it was 30 years ago. So I assume that this is supposed to be set during the 80s. You might be onto something when she goes into the office and she's saying they're playing this music called I Left My Wallet in El Segundo. And she repeats it over and over again. That song was re- released by a tribe called Quest and came out in 1990. Oh, Okay. So if, you know, they, if we're to assume that they're listening to modern day music, 
uh, through his boombox mm-hmm. at the time, which I think in 2004, a boombox wouldn't really be as relevant. So you might be right about 80s, early 90s. Well, and of course, since time frame. Yeah, because uh, uh, Mrs. Munson is an older lady. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not going to be up on the current, uh, you know, the current words that the kids are using. <laughs> right. So she still would have called it a boombox, I'm sure. Yes, this is true. This is true. <laughs> so what are your impressions of this movie, Princess? So, you know, what stuck out to you? What, what moments did you enjoy? One of the things that I liked was um, about this movie. One of my favorite scenes was in the Waffle House. They're kind of, go. they've, you know, formed their group and they've already set up shop in the basement. You know, they're... They're just kind of hashing things and um, Mr. Pancake, because they, they all have little oddball names, but that's, I guess the character's name is Garth Pancake. He, you know, brings in his mountain girl who, you know, to everyone's surprise, nobody knew that he had a significant other. Mm-hmm. And um, she's this woman probably in her 40s. She has pigtails and she's mountain or mountain girl i think was her name which nobody can seem to get right in the in the in the thing and um you know marlon marlon wayne's character is just kind of like cussing up a storm about him bringing her to the restaurant because this was just supposed to be their gig that scene for me was just one of the one of the funnier moments yeah it 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 all it dragged out a little bit because they kept going back and forth with each other they were arguing Uh uh-huh there are several scenes in the movie when where you were wondering who was going to go off the rocker because right, <laughs> you know they they all a few of them had guns and you knew each of them were criminals and there just wasn't something right about each one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know I, I'm glad that it was spoiler. I'm glad it wasn't until later that mm-hmm. something actually ended up happening. But you were on edge. Of, in a few scenes of that movie, you're like, oh, is this the scene when someone's going to buy it, you know? Right, right. Um, kind of like, you know, Pulp Fiction, when you watch that, you're like, oh, God, I can't believe that just happened. What's going to mm-hmm. be going on next? You know, how do they get a move from here? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I just thought it was adorable that they, 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 they um, you know, they changed the name. It was the Waffle Hut. Yes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, no business in their right mind would uh, endorse this this film. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was uh, one of the things that I guess kind of surprised me about the film as well was, although maybe I shouldn't have been surprised since it was a Coen Brothers movie. Not that I am a prude by any means, but, you know, the language and uh, the things, some of the things that were discussed and uh, some of the later scenes uh, it kind of took me aback. It wasn't quite what I was expecting out of this this movie. You know, and I think we just got our answer. This is the reason why Tom Hanks did this movie. It was his mm-hmm. chance to work with the Coen brothers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now he could say, okay, I've done that. Let me do something else now. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> later on in a few years, you look back at his IMDb and see if he's taken this movie off his list. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Because this is one of those movies that, while it wasn't a bad movie per se, mm-hmm. I, I, and I don't normally, you know, suggest people use mind-altering substances, but this might have actually been a better movie if somebody were under the influence. <laughs> right. <laughs> My favorite moments of the movie. 
there there's a few of them it's just kind of one of those awkward things like the class clown you know somebody did something stupid and you liked it but mm-hmm. um, you know uh when he has gotten his landlady tickets to go to the gospel concert mm-hmm. and he's shoving her out the door and all of a sudden somebody's hot shotting in the basement and sends off the explosives oh yes and then he's like there's nothing to see here he's like oh well i'll just call the gas company or the water company or whoever it ends up being and you just go and have a good time right (laughs) (laughs) and also i liked it when they were using explosives in the basement and the landlady had come home and even though there's money flying all over the place no, she doesn't ask them about that. She's <laughs> in shock, and she just says to the to the Asian man who they call the general. She said, "I said no smoking because he was smoking." Yep. <laughs> Do you have a favorite line from the movie that somebody might have said? Um, so this was a line that was repeated, but um, it, it was after a while it got kind of comical when um, Mr. Pancake would always say, "Easiest thing in the world," or no problem you know he's supposed to be the explosives expert um and you know everything whether it's it's complicated or not i think at one point he gets his thumb or his finger part blown off (laughs) and uh so it just after a while it just became you know at first the first couple of times you hear it you're like okay but it's kind of just his his shtick it's his thing that he says like no matter what you ask him you could ask him to you know parachute to the moon and he'd say sure thing no problem easiest thing in the world (laughs) right Um, that was that was one of those quotes that stood out to me so my favorite line in the movie isn't something that's really quotable per se. There, there is a moment when Tom Hanks's character, the professor, is talking to the landlady. And I think it's at a time when she's figured out what's been going on in her basement and she's trying to shame him into doing the right thing. And so mm-hmm. Tom Hanks is trying to to smooth talk her as he does as the southern gentleman who's the you know the college professor mm-hmm. and uh she's got this picture this portrait this painting on the wall over the fireplace of her late husband and uh my husband billy happened to notice this because we watched it together did you happen to notice that something was strange about that picture throughout the movie um i mean it was a strange picture in general it kind of looked like he was just looking disapprovingly at everything uh billy happened to notice that apparently throughout different scenes in the movie even though they focus on the picture over the fireplace Mm -hmm. the expression on the man's face in the picture actually changes depending on the scene i didn't even notice that (laughs) it's like some moments he's pleased with himself in other moments yeah that is true So the, the professor is trying to smooth talk the landlady. She has handed him a flute that was her late husband's because he used it in church services, I guess. Mm. He was talking about different instruments that might have been played during biblical times. And so he's talking about a primitive horn that would have been made from like a cow or something. And he calls it a chauffeur, which I guess is French for maybe a horn. Mm. And he said that her husband would blow the chauffeur. <laughs> yes. and, and the landlady, she was just like insulted. She goes, I don't know nothing about no chauffeur. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that was a good one, too. I was kind of surprised that she uh, even thought, like, took it that way, you know, because she just seemed like such a, a church-going lady, but she, she interpreted it that way. The, the Lady Killers is a 2004 film with Tom Hanks and Marlon Wayans. It's a remake of a 1955 film. You know, it, it's it's quite the interesting movie. Um, now, if, if you had to recommend this movie to a friend, would you? Or would you tell them to stay away? <laughs> um, you know, I can see where it would appeal to some people. So I would say go for it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I might uh, tell a friend to watch it if I think that they need to branch out with the mm-hmm. type of movies they watch. Because, you know, you, you've got those friends who they always play it safe. And stick to mm-hmm. the things that they normally watch. But every once right. in a while, you got to have a little jack in the box, a little surprise. Right, right. Yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> it's not a bad movie. And I tell you what, uh, towards the end of the movie, when we learn about Mr. Pancake having irritable bowel, that was a little. Oh, yes. Inspiration. That too. <laughs> but that definitely put a modern spin on that because I'm sure that wouldn't have been in a film from the 50s. Right. Okay, well, uh, it has been fun visiting with you, Princess, and I enjoyed talking about spring movies with you. How about you? Oh, same here. So, uh, Always a pleasure. Yeah, so stay tuned, folks, and uh, be sure to check out Surely You Jest, my solo podcast uh, at syjpodcast.wordpress.com, and also please do pay a visit to our partner in the Univaz family of shows, the long-running Pod Cubs podcast in their eighth season with Romo, Baloo, and Dave get together for a live show every Thursday at 8 p.m. So stop by at univazpods.net, click on the globe for the streaming show, and sign into the Discord chat app if you want to participate in the audience. Thank you for listening to The Far Away Nearby. You can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Find our fan page on Facebook and our companion blog on Tumblr. Email us at tfnpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at tfndj and text or leave a message at 720-230-6919. Unified. Unique. Voices. Unified Unique Voices A network of inclusion Unifazpods.net